Amandla Zaramalu, who was in London last week attending the Finance Uncovered Conference, had an opportunity to speak with John Allen Nemu, a renowned Kenyan investigative journalist, on the political uncertainty in Kenya right now, land grabs, and much more. Here they are in conversation. I'm here with John Allen Namu, who's a renowned investigative journalist in Kenya and who's the co-founder of a new investigative outfit called Africa Uncensored. Hi, John Allen. Hey, Zara. <laughs> so tell me a bit about yourself. How did you how did you become a journalist? And just very briefly, your journey to, to where you are today. Um, okay, so the short story is that um, I, uh, through some experiences that uh, some family members went through, felt that uh, journalism wasn't really being given a service and felt that um, social justice issues really weren't, you know, front and center. And, and I thought I could do a, be- a better job. So, yeah, in my arrogance, I, I joined the profession. Tell me about African Censored. What, what exactly is it? So Africa Uncensored is a media company that focuses um, on investigative and in-depth journalism. So our goal is to show Africa as it really is. So that's a good, the bad, and the ugly, but really pull no punches or, you know, uh, um, when it comes to exposing things, but also um, not be too shy of covering new ground when it comes to really talking about things that, that that really would be empowering to Africans. And how do you disseminate uh, what you produce? So we're online. We are uh, we have our website, um, africaancensored.net. Um, we're on all the social media handles, I think, well, except for Snapchat and Reddit. Um, those ones are a bit too fancy for us. So Twitter, Africa Uncensored, um, Instagram, as well as, as YouTube. So we, we publish a lot on YouTube because we do mostly broadcast, um, but also on our website. Tell me some of the stories that you've looked at since since you founded the uh, the organization. So um, we we've done a bunch of stories um, on um, issues to do with crime, corruption, um, especially in 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 Nairobi. Um, we we focused on uh, the city inspectorate, which is like the. The city inspectorate is like the police of uh, Nairobi's county government, and they had been extorting um, uh, hawkers uh, in in the city. Um, and there was a lot of violence, a lot of extortion, and um, in some cases, murder. And and so we, in collaboration with uh, a, a bunch of uh, citizen journalists and an organization that I can't name, um, went out to expose these guys. Um, so that was our first story. In fact, that very first story won us uh, an award in 2017. Um, we've also done a similar project on uh, corruption of uh, traffic police officers who through bribery and extortion earn about maybe about, uh, let's see, four, $4 million a month. And that's just within the city limits of Nairobi. But then there's also quite a number of projects that we've done around um, extrajudicial killings and executions, um, land injustices, um, in environmental issues. So we, we've really run the whole gamut when, when it comes to stories. And our most recent projects have been projects around uh, the elections where we did our own tallies of both uh, the August and the October uh, election in Kenya. 
Can you tell me a bit more about either the story you did on extrajudicial killings or on land issues? Let's say for people who are not familiar with these sort of topics in Kenya, what, what exactly are the stories there? Okay. So on extrajudicial executions, um, Kenya has, uh, the Kenyan government had a very, well, I'll call it interesting policy on, on how to deal with uh, radicals um, who became radicalized as a process of our war and terror and our, and our incursion, not incursion, but our crossing into Somalia, our, our military's cross, crossing into Somalia. Um, and a lot of suspected um, terrorists were, were, weren't were given uh, due process um, when, when found by the police or found by one of Kenya security agencies. A lot of them were killed. Um, and, and that, it started with, um, with suspected terrorists, but as we found out the the cr those kinds of crimes would then extend to any kind of criminal so people suspected of poaching um disappeared and, and or were killed uh, people who are suspected of other crimes especially within informal settlements became especially um disproportionately dis disproportionately um young men from within uh, the slum areas became victims of violence um, and and murder. And that really asked us to pose the question, which is the title of our story, where, where are our children? And that was basically tracing what happened to a number of young men in varied circumstances. And of course, the blame being placed squarely on the, the doorstep of the Kenyan government. When it comes to land issues, we, we've done a few things. So the first project was on uh, titling of public school land, which was a problem in, in uh, and still is to an extent in Kenya, where public schools, because they don't have title deeds, become very attractive properties for uh, private developers. And that's really whitewashing what they are, which is land grabbers. And so we focused on a few uh, cases in, in uh, Nakuru, um, which is driving towards Rifali, which is in the Rifali. Yeah, that was primarily Nakuru and I think one or two schools in Nairobi. Um, and yeah, and basically just showing what the problems were with regard to um, titling of schools and, and how these, these pieces of land uh, bege then became susceptible to, to grabbing. And, and that's also been part of a very negative legacy in the country. I think the last one was um, on some of the current issues that you're seeing now in, uh, in Laikipia. Laikipia is uh, heading towards uh, northern Kenya, but it's part of the Rift Valley. Um, a lot of conserv uh, conservation conservancies are in that part of the country. It, it also has, I think, the rich. It's the richest uh, source of, um, or, or where you can find quite a, a bit of wildlife. It's also a very interesting area when it comes to environmental degradation. A lot of it has been turned into desert because of um, overgrazing, the problems with overgrazing, as well as climate change. And the contestation right now is between conservancies and um, herders who have, you know, traditional rights to that land, but who, through the process of colonization, um, were kicked off that land or were limited to very marginal areas of that land. Large swathes of it are owned by conservationists, but on the other hand, people who 
like some of the people who um, live there, both conservationists and ranchers, have legal title um, to that land and have used parts of that land sustainably, at least from, you know, uh, from our current definitions of that. And the conflict there is, is causing quite a bit of uh, discomfort and perhaps finally us having Kenyans deal with the questions around land administration and land tenure for pastoralists in that part of the country. And so for those three stories on extrajudicial killings, on uh, land or land issues and in Laikipia land issues as well, um, did you find any, what, what were the responses to these stories? Have you seen anything change? Have people reacted to these stories? Um, these kind of investigations, what have been their impact? I think um, it's it's difficult to judge what impact there was, especially with regard to extrajudicial executions. But I know for a fact that there's been a lot more awareness about that and the focus on what exactly they are and the impact that they have on society. Um, so for extrajudicial executions, I think that's been our contribution, really just more public awareness and and, um, and a more objective discussion around them. Um, in terms of land, public land for schools, that we did with uh, the help of researchers from the Society for International Development. And, and since then, there's been quite a bit of progress um, when it comes to titling of land. Now a, a large number of schools have been given title by the Kenyan government. Uh, unfortunately for what's happening in Laikipia, there really has been no solution in sight. In fact, the, the problems have deepened. Um, the crisis has deepened. We're going back. We're, we're, we're going to do a third story on the same. Hopefully this time around, um, that leads f uh, to the right pole seeing the, these documentaries and, and really having an honest discussion about what needs to happen in Laikipia and other parts where the, the kinds of conflicts that we're seeing would present themselves, other sort of pastoralist areas. This last few years, and, and actually, let's say recently, uh, there's been, you know, somewhat of an electoral crisis. We saw the Supreme Court annul the results of the first election of this year. Um, but then we d there was just another election in Kenya in which the president Kenyatta won again, allegedly with 98% of the mm -hmm. of the vote. The things that you speak about and, uh, that you've been investigating, um, would you say that these uh, stories are, um, I mean, what do these stories say about the state of politics in Kenya today? Would you say that there is a, you know, this government is particularly repressive? Um, what's your take on the, the larger political context in which you're investigating these stories? I think... That's a difficult one, but from my, my personal point of view is that we are not having an, uh, an honest discussion as a country about the, the shape of our politics. I, I believe the view that's been taken by a few um, academics, um, notably Washira Maina, who's a constitutional lawyer on the issue, that uh, it, it's really politics that... The structure of our politics has was dictated by the colonial state and the colonial state found it to its advantage to use tribe um, and tribal uh, differences um, to I mean this is really cutting a long story short but to to administer the country and the administration since have used that to uh, their advantage not just the administration but the entire um, body politic of Kenya's you know political landscape 
And right now, what we have is a majoritarian system that depends heavily on tribal alliances rather than ideology, rather than um, development and, and that sort of thing. So every time we go to an electoral contest, you have that kind of you know contestation that comes up. And inevitably, there'll be large parts of the country that will be left out of the leadership of, of, of this country without an honest discussion about the, our colonial state today um, I think we're going to have a repeat of the same in, in 2022 and every election cycle going forward and this deepening of a feeling of marginalization now it's it sounds as if I'm in agreement with um, Raila Odinga can you yeah. tell me who's Raila Odinga okay. um, Raila Odinga is uh, Kenya's main polit um, opposition candidate he uh, ran in both he ran in the first uh, August election uh, this year um, it was it was his petitioning of the um, of that election uh, to the Supreme Court that um, brought about the 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 overturning or, or rather the nullification of of the august uh, of the august election which was a first for the country he's uh, an opposition stalwart and um you know some would say very a very big part of the reform agenda in kenya in terms of our march towards getting a new constitution um i'm not going to get into you know the controversies but of course i mean any politician has you know those who like him and those who don't so his view right now is that we are in a crisis that will will deepen if we are not able to resolve certain issues around electoral reform um around tribal based politics um and specifically politics of marginalization and corruption now these are being taken as political views when actually they are not. They really go to the heart of what the issues are in our country. And if Kenyans continue to see them as just the political views of one side of the divide, then they miss the bigger picture, which is my view. What is the bigger picture? The bigger picture is that if we do not resolve our political crises, uh, our political questions, then we'll, our crisis will deepen and it will force that kind of debate around what's your response when you are marginalized, which is, I think, something that we don't want. You know, that's a street we don't want, want to walk down, uh, at, especially at this point in Kenya's history. I feel it's a very dangerous path to walk down if we continually ignore what really ails the politics of our country. And it need not be a conversation just about Raila Odinga and Uhuru Kenyatta, who is our incumbent, but really an, a, a, a broad-based discussion around how do we fix the politics of our country? How do we how do we regain the sense of equity that perhaps was there at at independence and, and sort of disappeared shortly after? How do we regain that sense of nationhood and and bring and forge unity in, in ideals rather than tribal-based politics. The context in which I'm meeting you here is that we're both at this uh, workshop on finance. Do you see th what is the larger link between the political crisis that Kenya is in now and the, let's say, questions of economics and finance? Is there a link that people are not seeing in Kenya? Yes, I think um, as long as our 
politics is structured to include certain people and exclude certain people, then the the larger questions around corruption, um, uh, around the manipulation of our economy um, to benefit certain individuals and the use of um, our public coffers to benefit and to enrich certain people will never really be discussed and dealt with to conclusion. I mean, some of the things that we've, we've been discussing this week around um, money laundering, um, tax evasion and, and, and tax avoidance, um, are things that are, are very prevalent in Kenya and many times guys don't even have to hide their money in tax havens they just do it and that's also another thing that we're not talking about the, the impunity with which um, economic crimes are taking place in our country uh, and that that's really something that any any person, whether a politician or not, should be really concerned uh, uh, concerned with and and seized of. Um, and so I, I see a very clear link um, between the, the the smallness of our politics and the large problems that we are not addressing. As a as a journalist or as an investigative journalist, what is what is the role of an investigative journalist? Because you know, I, in Kenya. Uh, I think it was last year or some time ago, it's, uh, the president said that newspapers are only good for rough meat. Mm. So in such a context and given what you've just said, what, what, what is the role and if, is there any responsibility as well for investigative journalists working in Kenya today? Yeah, I think we've got a very big role. And I say we uh, to include not just investigative journalists, but, but the entire journalistic fraternity in Kenya, we, we really have a very important role at, at a time in our country of, of great crisis and, and also great opportunity. Uh, and the opportunity lies in um, telling the truth, telling it boldly and telling it every day so that the public may continually be informed of really what the objective facts are around some of the challenges we have as well as the opportunities and the potential that we have as a country to expose um, the problems that for instance we've been discussing here around tax avoidance tax evasion corruption impunity um, and to do that continually as as well as to hold power to account and this is all power not just power within the executive but also power within the opposition and I'm not looking for some false equivalence but those pe people within the opposition also need to understand the kind of power that they wield and use it responsibly the same as or perhaps more so the government and this is a key role that, that um, investigative journalists have uh, if it were up to me all journalism would be investigative journalism especially in a country like ours that, that needs it not because we're a basket case, but because of the potential that con that continues to go begging simply because we are not having that broad based discussion. And we are, and I include myself in this, I don't think we're doing the best that, that we can as journalists. Okay, thank you. All right, thank you very much, Zara. <laughs>